Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Chelsea Homer. Chelsea has been sharing about her faith journey, faith transition, and post-Mormon experience for years now. I think she does a phenomenal job at putting words to the experience that so many of us have. She also has dedicated a lot of time, energy, and expertise into creating post-Mormon spaces. So she has a thriving Facebook group community, as well as you co-founded the Lost and Found Club, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is a nonprofit organization aimed at creating community outside of high-demand religion. So we are going to get way more into all of that, but I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. That yes. was such a nice intro. Thanks, Haley. Thanks. Hopefully I got all the information <laughs> That was right. perfect. Thank you. <laughs> it's always hard to sum up. We are going to be talking today about community and friendships outside of Mormonism, which I think you are the perfect guest to have on for that topic. Before we get into all of that, if you would give us a brief little snippet into who you are, where you live, and I know it's difficult to sum up, but a little bit of your faith journey and kind of where you've landed would be awesome as well. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to sum that up. But I um, know, it's hard. No, my husband and I live in Murray, Utah, and we have two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. We met at BYU, and I was on my last semester. Nick had graduated a few years before we met in the same ward. He was the photographer for the ward directory. So he just got oh, to no meet way. every single person who moved into <laughs> he the had ward. His pick of the yeah, new I know. ladies. I think in the he ward. like assigned himself that calling um, to meet all of the cute girls coming in. So anyway, we dated on and off for almost two years. Uh, got married in the Bountiful Temple, and by our first year anniversary, Nick had deconstructed the church and God and all of it. Oh, it and was that so fast! It was wow. really fast, and like. It's such a shock because if anybody knows Nick or me, like we were just so deeply, deeply committed to Mormonism. I mean, it was like our, we just embodied it, our personality, our interests. Um, I think a big overlap of like our values and like why we got married was because we were both Mormon. Yeah. Anyway, so it was a shock to everybody, myself included. I could not believe it. And that was on top of the learning curve of like sex as a newly married person who I've never, you know, like I just, it's a learning curve coming into marriage as a virgin yes, or just not experienced. And Nick also was like starting a business and channeling all of our finances into like his startup. Anyway, the first year of marriage was the worst for us. So we started to go to support groups uh, to try to figure out how to navigate this mixed faith marriage situation. We did that for several years, but in the process, I gained so much empathy and understanding as I put myself in spaces that humanize Nick, which I know is not always the natural instinct when you are in a mixed faith marriage. And so by the time we had our daughter, it was time for her blessing. And in Mormonism, a lot of the ordinances and events are very public. And yeah. so this caused a lot of anxiety for both of us. And Nick's like, I here's our first daughter, and I'm already set up to look like a really terrible dad. Yeah, um, true. So it was like six months of deliberation of what we we're going to do. 
And so with her blessing day, like when we decided to post about it, I was like very honest and saying we did this at our house. My dad did it um, and we're navigating mixed faith marriage. So from that post, someone who works for the church, she's a friend. The church was doing a new social media program and they needed eight guinea pigs of people who would post non-traditional but still faith promoting posts. And so she wanted me to talk about that. So we were the first couple to roll this out and we didn't inform Nick's family well enough, I don't think, but, and we didn't know ourselves what this would look like, but that was like the beginning of the end of our public transitioning because it just blasted us in front of so many people. So did they post, you wrote the post. I wrote the the post and and they had a picture of our blessing day post. Wow. And where did they post that on what account? On the church's social media, Instagram, the main one. And then it did so well and not because of us. I think it was just this idea that people were being more vulnerable and yeah. Talking about faith marriage, challenging the, the perfectionism that often is portrayed on social media. Mm. and they tagged I know they tagged me for like 30 minutes and they said oh my gosh we have to untag you because it's just like getting like just like an influx of followers and obviously that's not something either of us wanted but just trying to navigate that situation was really hard and since then just for authenticity's sake I felt like I had to keep giving people updates because people would be in my dms like hundreds of people how do you stay committed if your husband's an atheist how you know like and I didn't know I just was like we just blessed our daughter, you know, (laughs) like we don't know what we're doing. And so it was a very public transition as I evolved. And I think a lot of people listening to your podcast probably understand that on a very personal level that it can be really fast. And so doing that in front of so many people was really difficult. Yeah, that's crazy. So when you started publicly talking about this, you were in a mixed faith marriage. So you were still in the church. Yes. And then you've now left the church but you were kind of needing to update people sort <laughs> yeah. of along the way. Just to stay honest, because people yeah. would be like, what do I do in this situation? And I'm like, oh, well, Nick, actually, Nick and I kind of agree a little bit more on that topic. Or actually, I'm kind of struggling with the patriarchy in the church. Or actually, you know, and so totally. then it was just like, I just to stay sane in the DMs of like being honest, I felt like I needed to. And anyway, but it is very vulnerable thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I've followed you through, I think I probably started following you more when you were leaning on the post-Mormon side, but even that, I feel like you have been able to share as you've waded through the experiences, which I am just completely in awe of because I had to wait a really long time to be able to talk publicly about post-Mormonism, even years after I personally felt super solid in where I had landed. And I just really admire you for sharing along the way. It seems very vulnerable, very brave, and I'm sure it came with a lot of stuff. Yeah, it did. (laughs) Yeah, it did. But I think any therapist would probably recommend doing it the way that you did it, Mm -hmm. of like healing and coming to yourself first. Mm. Um, And if I could go back, I probably would have done it that way. Yeah, Yeah. I can imagine that. And I think that's probably true. I think people have probably benefited, however, from, I mean, it seems like a lot of that was a little bit against your will or you were kind of thrust (laughs) into this situation. It was a very weird situation. Very weird situation. But I think there is something different about sharing it while it's happening. Yeah. Because you are more vulnerable, like you're saying. And 
I'm sure you've helped so many people, even though it hasn't come That's without it. That's nice of you to say. Yeah. I, I know. I go back and read some of the earlier posts and I can feel the cognitive dissonance, like the tension mm-hmm. is there in the sentences and the words. And it is hard to capture that yeah. after that happens. Exactly. Um, but like, it's painful and I cringe reading those, but like, there is some element that like, oh, wow, I, you know, totally. I was in that moment. No, totally. I feel like a lot of people who have reached out to me who have been listening to the podcast already are very much in that space. They're still figuring it out. They're dealing with the cognitive dissonance. And I wish I kept a journal or something because it does feel very different on this side of things. And I know that people who are still in that space, I wish I could kind of tap back into that a little bit more sometimes. So I'm in a way, I'm sure I would hate to read back to. I hate to read back on <laughs> I anything say, I've ever I written. I love that you started this podcast. I thanks. love the branding. I love the name. Thanks. I'm so excited. As you know, the post-Mormon space, there is such a strong sense of community, which is Absolutely. what we're going to be talking about. And when you leave Mormonism, which is so high demand, which has its tendrils in every part of your life <laughs> That's a good way to and describe everything it. Yes. you do, yeah. I feel like everyone who leaves that, we're all just looking for places to be and to come together. And it's been really cool to be a part of that. And I was really worried that I was going to get a lot more hate or trolls Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I mean, I'm sure that will come with time, but I've just been really blown away by how kind and supportive people really can be and how much they're craving these spaces and these conversations. So speaking of all of that community stuff, we actually got some really good questions. So I think I'm just going to jump into the questions and I'm sure we'll talk in course about Facebook. Yeah, I'm excited to see what kind of questions. I know. It's always really interesting. I love asking questions because it always brings up certain things about the topic that I wouldn't have thought of myself. The first question is about finding friends. So it says, how can you find friends? This person is specifically in college that are not one extreme or another. I don't want to be drinking and doing drugs, but also I'm not Mormon at all. I have a hard time finding friends. I think this is an interesting question in the post-Mormon space because you're used to being with a group of pretty homogenous people. Absolutely. Who all adhere to the word of wisdom, for example, And when you leave that, there is this added layer of finding friends that you also maybe want to align with certain, you know, maybe you don't want to drink or that kind of thing. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I advice would be. Yeah, that actually I see that a lot uh, that come up a lot because it can feel pretty natural of abstaining from certain things and then leaving and deconstructing. And then just wanting to swing hard on the other side like that Mm. obviously is a theme and happens and people are curious and exploring. But I actually see it equally, if not more, in the meetups that we have of people who leave but are still not really interested in, you know, the drinking and and some of those other things. So I would say, I mean, get online for sure. There's lots of Facebook groups and support groups. The one that I started is called Faith Journey Meetups. And we're now at 9,000 women and genderqueer people. And there's like... It's a very, very active group, but I, so many book clubs and uh, friend groups have originated from that, but it's just like online, you find people and you can even like write a post exactly that question. Like, Hey, I'm 
navigating this? Is there anyone who kind of fits this description or is interested in this? And there are always people who will comment, where are you located? Let's meet up. Let's go to the park or, you know, so I know online support groups is a great resource. And then there's lots of event hubs here. Uh, Obviously, I help run one with Lost and Found Club. We have monthly events, two to three events, sometimes a month. Um, just meeting people in person and then staying after the entertainment. Sometimes you mm. like go because we try to do unstructured fun at Lost and Found. So it's not like you have to come and feel like you have to share your story or anything. It's like we did a prom. You just come and you can dance and make friends. But I think the best way to, to make friends is to put yourself out there and to be like transparent with what you want in a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we're very good about that. Like in Mormonism with you're talking about like the homogenous group. Like I think even if we didn't agree or perfectly align, we pretended that we did or we kept those parts of ourselves secret. And so I think just navigating friendship in a transparent, authentic way. Absolutely. But that's a really great question. And it can feel really lonely because it is very common to see people like to do new cocktails or, you know, like it. It's just a new terrain to navigate. Absolutely. I think adult friendships are hard enough. Yes, they are. <laughs> and you add on this element of post-Mormonism where, as this person pointed out and as you spoke to, there's maybe even additional things to navigate. Maybe you're post-Mormon and you feel like the post-Mormon crowd likes to go out drinking. And so people that you maybe relate to and want to be friends with, you don't connect to in that specific area and it can get really complicated. I love what you said. I think there really are so many post-Mormon people. I've been thinking about how when I was in the church, I was always really sensitive to the fact that Mormons got stereotyped, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was transitioning, but still had a lot of defensiveness, I was like, Mormons are not a monolith. Like we're not all the same. Even if we all go to church and adhere to the same this or that doesn't mean we're all the same. But I do think that that's true of post-Mormonism as well. I think there are stereotypes maybe of the post-Mormon community, but as many people as have left the church there are that many experiences and people who have found, like you said, their way. So I know there are plenty of people out there who you can find and relate to and connect with. And those online communities and those events can feel really scary. But if you can get yourself there, you will find friends. I really do think that. One other thing I wanted to say to this person is you also can be friends with people who maybe drink a lot more than you would want to and you don't have to go out drinking with them right I think maybe that's another thing we've inherited from Mormonism a little bit is feeling like we want to be around people who are very similar to us and I think you can be friends with all sorts of people and it doesn't mean you have to adapt their same behaviors or standards around anything yeah and that's what I've noticed with finding friends in the post-Mormon affiliated spaces is that people are very understanding. And like, if there's something you don't know, like it's never like talking down or like, how could you not know something like it's, I think there's a level of humility when you deconstruct something as integral as Mormonism that like, it's just so humbling that if someone is apprehensive to do you know, alcohol or something like that. Like everyone is very like, yes, that makes sense. It's very 
like understanding and like we just want to make sure that you're having a good time so totally oftentimes parties that I go to like there will be options alcoholic non-alcoholic like people are very accommodating and I think that's a really good point that you brought up that we don't have to be the same yeah to still coexist and find joy and friendship yeah and I feel like one of the gifts of post-mormonism is the ability to connect with people no matter who you are if you've been a Mormon and you've left the church I could talk to you for days on end because there's so much in that shared experience yes and I think wherever you land on yeah substances or whatever it may be there's still so much that can bind people in that community that as you said people are accommodating and you can find friendships and establish your boundaries and good luck to you because it's not easy. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's scary. I think that's the biggest thing is just getting over the hump of putting yourself out there. But I do think whenever I've attempted to do that, I've gone to some of your events, I've posted in the Faith Journey Meetups group that that you just referenced. And again, I'm always blown away by the amount of people that show up. So much compassion too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about Lost and Found Club? Give us a little rundown. Yeah, yeah, I know. I kind of just plugged it and I didn't really plug it very well, but um, <laughs> Lost and Found Club. So we are officially a nonprofit as of this year. Congratulations. But thanks. I, I'm really excited about that. But it's led by a group of women and genderqueer post-Mormons who are looking for community and we want to share resources and support for people who are trying to navigate life outside of a organized religion. And that can be really tricky in Utah. I always say Utah is like the best and worst place to transition for Mormonism. It's just everywhere. It's in your face. Every few blocks, there's a chapel and the politics, like everything is just intertwined with Mormonism, but also like the communities here and the support for people who are navigating a faith journey is just unbelievable. And so anyway, we are hoping to add to the many communities that are formed here. So yeah, the idea came because I was listening to a podcast by Esther Perel talking about kind of what you just mentioned, like the magic that can happen when you coexist in a room that has a shared with someone that has a shared trauma or challenge or experience. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to exchange stories, but just knowing like being in a room with someone who has experienced the lows that can be transitioning away from Mormonism is really strangely healing. And I found that on such profound levels that like we just wanted to create more opportunities for that to happen for other people. So we have, yeah, monthly meetups and they're all like trying to be like unstructured fun where you can come and just make friends. And we learn, we do crafts, we do fun guest speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you just barely have a guest on that was talking about cannabis yes we had it because that's something that comes up again with the substances is like people we just it's hard to know who to ask these questions and people are starting to explore so we had a cannabis cultivator do a zoom call this last week of just like educating so many of us who've never had that education never had that exposure and anyway so it's just a place to learn and grow and find friends amazing so cool that you're doing that and i think that's such an incredible resource this next question I think speaks a little bit to what you were saying about living in Utah as a post-Mormon. Mm-hmm. So this person wrote in and they said, how would you recommend someone in their early 20s try and find friends outside of the church in an area that isn't densely populated with members? So I'm assuming this person doesn't live in Utah. They've yeah, transitioned, they're post-Mormon. I thought that was a really good question because it is really different. Yeah. 
it's like you don't have the Mormon community to tap into, and yeah. then, but there's not the There's a very community. unique challenge of being outside yeah. of wanting to find people who can relate and yeah. not having that. Yeah. And I, I would just say tap into the virtual support so group because there is such a beautiful world online. And I know people have been surprised while they'll post like, I'm in this state. Is anyone, you know, and there will always be like one or two people who will be kind of around that area yeah. who will pop up. And even if they don't meet up in person, they could get on a polo group. There's so many polo groups that have started that you just can interface with people who can be your friend. Totally. Yeah, I think that online is the, is the place you got to go. I've been really surprised in the Faith Journey Meetups group. Pretty random places that like people say. Like we have a group say, in Canada. Yeah. 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 And there's like, oh, I'm 20 minutes away. Let's go to coffee or whatever, yeah. which is really cool. I do feel like at a certain stage of a faith transition or newly leaving the church, tapping into that post-Mormon community, I think is vital to being okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not saying you have to be with post-Mormons all the time, but I think this is a great question because even if the people you're hanging out with on a day-to-day basis don't connect to that experience, having a place you can go to connect with people who have gone through that, I think is really important. And I think it's a great question to be asking because as you said, it doesn't mean you have to be hanging out with only post-Mormons yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. But I think having those people who have experienced the same thing that you can go to, whether that's in a Marco Polo group or a text or on Facebook is really healing in, in that way that you spoke to. I can't imagine. I know some people go through a full faith transition and journey and end up on the other side and they don't talk to anyone about it the whole time. And if you can find those safe spaces it really helps the mental health aspect. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It makes a big difference being around people who understand something that's really difficult to even articulate to someone who hasn't been through it. Okay, I am going to read this next question. They said, I had friends come over the other day and they brought wine. I didn't have a wine opener. I've newly left the church, but I felt so awkward telling them why I didn't. I try to avoid telling people about my Mormon past. It feels so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) That word embarrassing. I say that all the time and I think it comes of this point of shame like to this person I can say I hosted a post-Mormon event at my house with over 60 people and I also did not have a wine bottle opener (laughs) and people brought wine and so Nick took a screwdriver with a screw and unscrewed it because we just didn't have we still don't have you know yeah and and so the thing is I've just kind of tried to lean into that of just like this is kind of who this is where I came from and Nick and I I feel like deep down will always be Mormon in some sense. That's just the our roots. That's the culture we were raised in. And just kind of laughing about it. And I think people, like, it's endearing, honestly. Totally. And so I know it can feel embarrassing, especially when you're around a group of people who um, maybe are wine connoisseurs or, like, have that experience. But there are a lot of us who are struggling and navigating this in a messy way. And so, anyway, just want to empathize with that. <laughs> That it can be embarrassing, but it's also just, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I That's exactly what I was thinking too. I'm going to read this other question because it's very much related. 
But they said, do you ever feel embarrassed to say you were Mormon? I do. I moved away from the motherland. And when I meet (laughs) new people, I try to avoid telling them where I went to college because they went to BYU or anything that links me to Mormonism. And I've been thinking about this question and I feel like being post-Mormon actually makes you really interesting. (laughs) I think like any spaces I've been in where... I'm outside of Utah and my husband is in this situation a lot more because he travels a lot for work. Mm. People are fascinated by his post-Mormonism. Probably people outside of Utah, inside of Utah, it's very polarizing. Exactly. Exactly. Outside of Utah, it's actually a really good conversation piece. And I know obviously there's stuff that comes with that. You're maybe not always in the mood to dig into the the trauma trauma of your (laughs) with strangers. But I guess I say that to say I really don't – I understand why it can feel embarrassing. I've also been in that situation before, but I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. A, you probably don't have that much to do with why you were raised Mormon. It probably just kind of happened to you. And I think it's really interesting and something that a lot of people are going to be intrigued by and endeared to. By, as you said, I don't think people from the outside think like, oh, that's so embarrassing that you were raised Mormon. That said, I was thinking when you were answering the question too, I feel like there's this kind of thing that happens in post-Mormonism where like a a bunch of post-Mormons go out to a bar, let's say, and there's kind of this thing where you're all like pretending to know like what people do at a bar. <laughs> or you had like two experiences with it. So now you're yeah, the expert. Exactly. You're the group expert. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like I'll get this cocktail all casual or whatever. And I think we're all just new to this yeah. as post-Mormons and that's okay. And in a way being so late into young adulthood and having so many things be new to you can be fun yeah and like you said it's funny funny things happen like the screwdriver with the wine bottle and if you can encourage yourself to lean into that I think it's a better experience than feeling embarrassed or resentful and that kind of thing yeah and I think owning some of that I know like I So Nick and I recorded a Mormon Stories episode like freshly after I kind of stepped away and we detailed our train wreck of a honeymoon. We just said we were horrible at sex. Even now, I won't claim to be like, I'm great at sex. Like I still have things come up and it's just been such an amazing experience of like owning some of these things that I'm like, I... I didn't know better. This is how, like, we were kind of set up to fail. Yes. And kind of owning that and just people coming out of the woodwork. Because everybody, nobody talks about sex openly. Most people brag that they're really good at sex. People don't really brag that they're bad at sex, yeah. right? Yep. And so it can feel really isolating if you've had a horrible honeymoon, you've had a horrible, like, first year of marriage of trying to navigate that. And Nick and I experienced that. And I was so embarrassed. Like, it took me a while to get over that. The I, the secrecy and also just, like, feeling like I was alone in this was so heavy that yeah. once I spoke to that, and obviously you don't need to blast it in front of thousands of people, but once I spoke to that, even, like, in a small group setting, I was always surprised by, like, the response of someone saying, I had that, I experienced that too. And it was such a validating experience just to speak to the embarrassment, the newness, the lack of experience. Anyway, as I've navigated this journey, like I'm just leaning into like, yeah, I just don't know very many things yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So many more people than we think 
have experienced yeah. things like that. I mean, yeah. I don't know many newlywed Mormons, to be honest, who have had like a killer honeymoon, at least as far as the sex is concerned. <laughs> and, but it's not something a lot of people talk about because it can feel embarrassing. Yeah. It can feel vulnerable, but I absolutely agree. I feel like I'm a chronic oversharer anyway, <laughs> but that's the reason I like to share is because you find people who have had that same experience yeah. and have never heard it spoken to. And it's healing for that person. It's also really healing for me when I do share about things like that to understand that I'm also not alone in that experience. I agree. One thing I want to say as well is I feel like with leaving the church, at least how I've experienced it, and I'm curious if you feel the same way, there's times where things feel really tender to me. Mm -hmm. And then there's times where I feel... Maybe I've had more closure and I can oh, lean absolutely. more into yeah. this is funny and this is endearing and this is something I can talk about. And I'm past the stage in a lot of facets of that like tenderness. Yeah. And if you're still in that tender phase, I just want to validate that where maybe it does just feel absolutely mortifying that you are Mormon. And that's okay if yeah. it feels that way. Yeah. That's really valid. And maybe you'll always feel that way. And that's also okay. I never want to say, oh, you know, I'm over it. It's funny or whatever. I do think that at least as I've experienced it, sometimes that can come and go in phases around different aspects of the post-Mormon yeah. experience. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what other questions we have. So this question says, how do you feel like raising your children outside of the church will be different? And I want to talk about this more around the community aspect. You have children, so mm -hmm. they're five and three. I'm curious how it is as a parent raising children in Utah as a post-Mormon, because I have 10-month-old babies, so yeah. I haven't really encountered... Well, my babies are small, too. Five yeah. and three, they're toddlers, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> have you had any challenges with you know, preschool or playdate groups, or how has that been to tap into that community, would you say? It's so funny because my daughter, I took her to kindergarten and a lot of the other parents I had recognized through church service. There was one mother who I, it was my last calling was like in Cub Scouts and she was over the Cub Scouts. Anyway, I was kind of like, I don't know if I should talk to her. Like, I'm sure she thinks all of these things about me. Anyway, come to find out she had just recently left and she was wanting to talk to me, but I just had made assumptions that like everybody was probably like, oh, that's, you know... Chelsea. Chelsea. Like she's a bad parent. She's a bad, like she's a bad community member because she left very publicly and I've been not always happy about it. I've, I've definitely been angry online, but it was such a random experience where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, and we've really connected. So that has been like a, I don't want to say tender mercy, but just, it's been a gift um, in Ellie's preschool and kindergarten. But yeah, my kids are little and I have to say like I know the privilege that is to leave when our children are young. Like Ellie never spent a day in primary. Mm. I left before she went to primary and I know navigating a faith journey with kids who are exposed to primary and young men's and young women's and have served missions and are adult children, that's a really difficult, difficult transition. And that was actually one of my, when we started going to support groups when Nick and I were in a mixed faith situation. Um, I saw parents at these meetings who were navigating, stepping away, but their adult children were still in. And I watched the heartache. And that for me, like cracked open 
just my heart of just like the this is such a difficult process and it's so hard with families because the church obviously like we claim to be family centric but then when someone decides to leave we're sabotaging the eternal family plan yeah and so it can be really messy with older kids so I know I'm I just having young kids for Nick and I we've been very excited about the prospects of parenting yeah because it's been liberating for us yeah to know like we get to decide we can sit down and our values still very much align and we don't have to try to like deconstruct after church with kids you know and like deprogram or like try to parse through what did your Sunday school teacher say what did they say about this and I know not everybody has that liberty I know there's just it's a really it's a really hard place to be raising families in a religion that's incredibly difficult to leave it is yeah having kids you are part of these communities in a different way right like a public school for example or a preschool or something like that and The one thing I worry about sometimes with living in Utah, and I'm not sure we'll still be in Utah when my girls reach that age, probably, but is having the dynamics around friend groups. And if friends are getting baptized, for example, and and I I don't know, I, I would say worried is probably the wrong word. I just think it's a consideration, right, that we wouldn't probably have in the same way elsewhere or cousins, for example, we live around a lot of family and almost my whole extended family is still part of the church and having to explain why their cousins are getting baptized and why they won't. I know that that comes with its own stuff that maybe wouldn't be a thing if you weren't in as densely populated of I think, yeah, in different cities, like we're in Murray and so the school systems that we're in, I know are very different than yeah. maybe like Saratoga Springs or yeah. Daybreak or Provo. Yeah. I just, I just have so much hope that I think our kids will experience a different church than we experience. Mm-hmm. Like every generation is experiencing a slightly different version. And with their peers, I just think it's going to be so much more common for there to be either mixed faith families or families who have left or families who are nuanced or families who still participate And something I'm currently working on, and this is a really uncomfortable process for me, is how to assimilate back into the community and the community that is and can be predominantly Mm. religious and and a religion that I have found has been really hurtful for me. But I have to coexist. You know, our families have to coexist. And my mom actually, she's a therapist. She was over yesterday and we were having this conversation. I think this will be a lifelong journey for me to try to figure out how to do that with kids. But I do think like we watch um, a few kids from Provo who are 14, 11, and 7. The way that they're talking and how open-minded and understanding, I just think like kids, their peers are just, are are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I just have so much hope for our kids. Yeah. So I think that our kids will experience a very different relationship to church than at least like I did. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I know it can be really hard and the day-to-day can be really tricky. And I don't want to give any type of parenting advice because I just want to be like, I have compassion for you. It's yeah, hard. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great point. That's something that I continue to be surprised by people leaving the church, (laughs) you know, like each new person that I I think doing this podcast, I've had people reach out to me from my mission or from growing up. And I feel surprised every time when someone's like, Hey, like I've left too. That's really 
just happening. A lot of people are leaving the church. Families are having to figure out how to make it work. Communities are also going to just have to figure out how to make it work. And I think even the institution of the church will eventually catch up where they have to adjust to be, you know, to hopefully change the rhetoric a little bit, to hopefully be better at just also assimilating the church back into, I guess I'm saying, I feel like there's, those changes are happening. And I think we're in kind of the middle of big changes happening with the amount of people leaving the church, especially in this generation. And I do hope, as you said, that it will just continue to get better. And I think when people ask about Utah, Utah is such an interesting place. I think you said it perfectly. It's the worst place to be post-Mormon and it's also the best place to be post-Mormon. And I don't know if we'll stay here forever, but I do feel like at this stage for me, even the hard things that come with being post-Mormon in Utah, I still would choose to be here for the ability to tap into the post-Mormon community, like you said. I wanted to ask you about something you said a little bit ago about being a heritage Mormon. This is something that I've also just kind of been thinking about a lot personally and thinking about how to, I guess, reconcile the fact that we were raised Mormon. I don't know if you have pioneer ancestry, but I know a lot of us do. And what it means to you to be a heritage Mormon or how you feel like Mormonism plays into your identity now that you've decided to leave the church. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I'm trying to reconcile. My mom took it, like growing up, my mom would take us to the cemetery, the Salt Lake Cemetery often. If anyone's been there, it's like, that's like where the prophets are buried. Oh, and really? where, Yeah, so where the people and leadership of the church are often buried up there. And so we would just do like scavenger hunts and stuff. Anyway, so I just grew up going to that cemetery and I've often thought about my pioneer heritage and that's something like leaving the church, I felt like I was betraying my lineage. And that was like a really weird thing to wrestle. But as I've deconstructed, I've also learned about the systemic harm and the harm that my ancestors have produced to this land and to other people, indigenous people. And, you know, and so also my family's complicity in some of that harm has also like, you're a perpetrator and you're also oppressed. And like, trying to hold that is a really, really uncomfortable thing. And I'm really trying to lean into that and, and educate myself. But it is a really uncomfortable thing knowing, you know, like there's a lot of colonizing history with Mormonism. But also Nick and I are just so deeply coded in the bucket of Mormonism that it's just everything to us, you know? So it's my childhood, it's completely filtered through a Mormon lens. And so trying to like do inner child work, I'm still thinking about the Mormonness of it too. Yeah, totally. So it is a really uncomfortable thing. I don't think I'm answering your question well, but I'm just trying to navigate that as that this is my heritage and obviously I love my ancestors and and I want to learn more about you know where I came from and also owning the harm that is around this culture and this religion absolutely no I think you answered it really well I feel very similarly I feel like there was a stage in leaving the church where I was really comfortable in saying Mormonism is my heritage it's my origin story 
And then as you dig more into those problematic aspects that you just spoke to of the colonization and all of this harm that's been perpetuated, it gets tricky, right? It's complicated. And I think what you said is so true and a huge part of the post-Mormon journey is just learning to be okay with nuance and that gray area and just understanding you can be grateful to your pioneer ancestors and admire them in a way. You can also wish that they did a lot better in a big way. And you can also understand the situation that maybe they found themselves in. It can be really complicated. And I think there is no easy answer, I guess, as you said. I think for many people, they can kind of see like Mormonism is the final step of deconstruction, but it really is just the beginning. It's it's one of the many systems that we need to deconstruct. And it was a really hard, humiliating at times process, but I've noticed that I've been much more eager to lean in and be understanding of how I may be complicit in other systems outside of religion. And that has been a, a gift of deconstructing Mormonism is that humility to be able to do that. Yeah. And to continue and have the curiosity to keep doing that. And so anyway, that's something that I feel like we could talk more about. Just it's a really awesome. Yeah, I think that's so true. I, I talked about this a little bit. You deconstruct Mormonism and then you kind of start to maybe deconstruct Christianity and then you kind of deconstruct uh, what's religion all about and in like general. white supremacy. Yes. Like it's just there's so much and it's so intertwined and entangled. But it's just such an important and I mean, it needs to happen. Like we need to be doing this the rest of our lives. Yeah. And so it just and it looks different for everybody. And so I definitely don't want to come on this podcast and be like, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to find community or friends. Like it's just such a different personal experience for everyone. Yeah. It has been such a gift. Yeah, I agree. One thing that's been really interesting for me, especially around this community aspect, is also realizing Mormonism isn't the only community. I mean, obviously, but also looking around and understanding a lot of people tap into community through Christianity, through Mm -hmm. various religions of other types, through hobbies, through shared interests. There's so many different forms of community and different ways that communities overlap. And, you know, you could be part of a quilting group that's Maybe I've heard those those groups are the best. Yeah, <laughs> I I was just talking with a friend because I saw some friends doing a quilting group at a church, like at a chapel. And I know some of them aren't in the church, but here they are quilting yeah. with like these eighty year old Mormon and women. And that's a great way to assimilate back into exactly. community too. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Finding those mutual connections and yeah, it doesn't always have to be about religion obviously yeah. you can connect over other things and even if there is the religious differences it doesn't mean that you can't connect on on various other fronts one thing i want to ask you about and i know this is a very gigantic question but oh. i have had i want to dig into this more i'm going to do a full episode on it but i have had a lot of people asking about mixed faith marriage okay. and you've been in a mixed faith marriage and i i guess i'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that or what that looked like for you? Because Bentley and I, we were deconstructing pretty much at the same time. I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I feel like is very fortunate. More often than not, that's not the case. And I know even talking about this community aspect, the smallest, smallest form of that is your relationship with your partner. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. I'm, I guess I'm curious if you have any 
thoughts or advice for people who are still in the midst of it's so hard yeah I will say first that mixed faith marriages are not created equal Mm -hmm. and depends like on personality and some spouses are more interested and curious about the other person's beliefs than others and they're more open-minded or you know like they just come from a different background with their orthodoxy level so it's so hard to give like blanket statement advice for mixed faith marriage stuff I will say one of the biggest online communities for mixed faith marriage support is called marriage on a tightrope it's a Facebook group and a podcast and they have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of people giving advice they have they interview therapists so I would definitely seek experts first yeah that's a great resource But in our personal anecdotal experience, Nick and I, it was communication was the the big thing. And I won't sugarcoat it. You know, the first little bit, we lived in a little threeplex behind Bam Bam's Barbecue in Orem, if anyone knows where that is when we were navigating this. And I remember Nick and I just fighting and we didn't fight like when we were dating and stuff. This was just a new thing where I was taking his critiques of the church personally and I couldn't separate myself yeah. from the organization. Yeah. And so when he was criticizing or listening to podcasts about Joseph Smith and polygamy, you know, I kind of took it as like, maybe he thinks I'm stupid. Where in Nick's perspective, he was like, no, like we were both in this and he was just trying to figure out what was true and he was curious and open. And so it took us months of like trying to like, figure it out and we were like it wasn't a graceful process it was messy but boundaries like there were times like eventually I was like if I Nick and I sat down and we did a value-based things and I think therapists will often do this with mixed faith couples of like where are your shared values what things do you Mm -hmm. um can you center yourself around that does not because sometimes we just think Mormonism as the shared value but if you dissect that there are these individual values that are not only found in Mormonism. Yeah. And so we did that and that was really helpful because it was like clear that Nick and I still aligned quite a bit. And that was helpful for us to like a catalyst for us to have better conversations. And so we set boundaries. Nick would tell me things he was learning, but that'd be like, I can't, I can't engage about Joseph Smith right now. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And it was just a slow process. I know like when navigating relationships with family, often the advice is not to talk about the issues and to talk about feelings. I think that's probably the best, safest um, option is just to say, this is how I'm feeling rather than going through the issues and kind of waiting for your spouse to be more curious and ask questions. Yeah. And also find other couples who are navigating this. I mean, community is everything. Research has been so important. Podcasts have been so important. Blogs have been so important, but like friends and in-person and virtual relationships have really been the catalyst for me to have a better relationship with Nick Yeah, and be able to feel like I could do this, that I could navigate this and I'm not alone. So there's a huge community in Utah. I was just at a mixed faith marriage event um, just in support, not because Nick and I, I mean, I know everybody's relationships are mixed faith in some regard because Nick and I still don't agree and align perfectly on spirituality. But like, it's just, it's thriving here. And there's so many couples and so many families who are navigating this. Uplift Kids is also a great resource. Um, going back to parenting too. If you're trying to navigate parenting older kids, that it's a value-based lesson plan. So cool. I know oftentimes we have FHE and Mormonism yep. and yep. Uplift Kids can kind of help 
uh, balance that if you have a partnership that you need another alternative. Fantastic. Those are all so. great resources and I will make sure to link those also. People have easy access yeah. to them. I think that's fantastic advice. I was actually thinking as you were talking about that, something that hadn't really occurred to me is how many mixed faith friendships I was in. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Especially along my journey. I mean, the way I talk about it in broad strokes is that I left the church at a similar time to my husband and to many of my friends. But as you were explaining you and Nick, I had so many flashbacks to so many of my really close friendships where even though we were in a similar ish space, there would be so many times where a church news thing would come out and a friend of mine would be like, Oh my gosh, have you heard the church has $10 billion or whatever the whole whistleblower? Yeah. Like a hundred billion. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I remember, and I think I was pretty even out at that point, but I just had to say like, I can't talk about this right now. And even though it was such a blessing that so many of us were going through the deconstruction process, so much of our stuff was rubbing up against yeah, the other people's stuff. Yeah. And I think that there had to be a lot of that work that you just described of being able to set those boundaries when needed to try and focus on feelings. And yeah, I just want to say, I know that mixed faith friendships are a really big thing. And even if you feel similar and you connect with your friends on values, it can still get tricky. Even still to this day, things will come up when we're talking with friends about certain church issues that it's just hard to talk about. It's very emotionally charged. There's so much tied up into it. And I think all of that advice you just gave is equally as beneficial in friendships, in you know, parent-child relationships, like you said, with siblings, because it's always a difficult thing to talk boundaries, about. Boundaries, yeah, are so hard too. And sometimes like I know I took some of those boundaries personally, initially like with friendships and stuff, but it really is an act of kindness showing up with at the capacity that you're able to yeah. in a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because it can be a challenge for any relationship, friendships, romantic relationships, but I think it can also be a catalyst to grow closer to people, Mm -hmm. to establish those healthier boundaries. And I guess I I say that to say, I don't think it's in some situations, yes, but I don't think it's best to avoid the topic altogether because I think there are ways you can establish healthy ways to talk about this, whether it's with your partner or your friend. I know there are some people who are still in a space with their partner or their friends where they're very nervous to talk about these things, which is super valid. And it may not always be the time or it might not just be a safe space in general. But I do think there are ways that these conversations can bring people closer together if Mm -hmm. everyone's on board to have the compassion and the understanding that the other people deserve. Well, Thank you so much for coming Thank on. Thank you. I could chat with you all I morning. Know. This is I great. I feel like we covered so many different topics. It's interesting to think about community because all of our relationships are just community on on various levels. And yeah. I really appreciate your perspective because I know that that's just something that a lot of people are craving community outside of the church and aren't sure how to tap into it. So I feel like you've laid out some really good resources and some great advice on 
on how people can that's so nice. tap back into it. It's I, there, right? I know the it's there. there. There are resources. And also like, if you're listening to this, I know I would have really loved to hear this as I was like in the thick of it of like, there is belonging and emotional intimacy outside of yes. the church. And Amen. if you're worried that you're going to lose all of that, when you leave, there are people who would love to be your friend and are waiting for you, you know, and this isn't like a plug that you need to leave the church, but I just know, like I stayed so long cause I just didn't think that was possible. Yep. And there's a beautiful community full of the most compassionate, amazing people. I love that so much. There are a lot of people I know that stick with the church despite a lot of cognitive dissonance because they so value that community. And I just echo what you just said, which is there is community outside of that as well. And if you're in a space where you're having to do all the cognitive dissonance and mental gymnastics just for the community, I know that there is community for you outside of it as well. And also what I've found very healing for me is to know that there's a community that doesn't have maybe as many stipulations on what is required to be a part of it. You don't have to hide parts of yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And I have found that to be incredibly healing to know that I can show up as myself. I can drink alcohol if I want to. I can come to an activity in a tank top and the acceptance is not limited based on those factors. That's been something that I think has been huge for me, even in just how I feel about myself personally, to know I belong to a community that doesn't require certain things of me to be accepted is, has been a really gift. We keep saying gift, but has been a gift of being part of the post-Mormon community. I love that. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on of to course. talk about this. I'm so We're in so our friendship era. Come. This is, yes, yeah. Exactly. Honestly, I just so appreciate, I know you've put in real work into creating those community spaces and I know it just makes such a gigantic difference. So keep it up. Thank you. We're grateful for you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. It's me, Haley from the future. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I had such a great time chatting with Chelsea and I hope you enjoyed the episode. I just wanted to make a quick note that if you heard babies crying in the background, you are not going crazy. Those were my girls who Bentley was watching upstairs. Thanks for bearing with us as we figure out all of the recording logistics and hopefully you won't be hearing any crying babies in future episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. It would mean the absolute world to me if you left a rating, a review, if you followed me over on Instagram at Girls Camp Podcast. You're the best, and I'll see you next week. Bye. G-I-G.